Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Hey, it's my mom. Mama. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Wednesday, February 21st, 2024. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air on the Memorial of St. Peter Damien. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverins and producer Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you on this Wednesday in the first week of Lent here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Just in case you haven't had a chance to sign up for Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass, these free daily videos, it's still not too late. Uh, you can do it this morning at relevantradio.com slash Lent. So get to know the Mass much, much better, really learn about the Mass, live the Mass, and love the Mass more than ever before. You can transform your 40 days with 40 lessons in with Father Rocky's weekly Eucharistic encounters at relevantradio.com slash Lent. Now, today is the memorial of the Benedictine monk, St. Peter Damien, bishop and doctor of the church. He rose from the life of a fervent monk to the abbot of his order, and he encouraged a strict rule of life for the monks. St. Peter Damien was later made a cardinal, and finally he was named a doctor of the church. I want to bring in Glenn and Sarah. Hey, Glenn, what are a few of the big stories making headlines on this Wednesday morning? Well, John, three states down and uh, all the rest to go here in the uh, primary process as part of uh, election 2024. Uh, the next go-round for Republicans in South Carolina this Saturday Trump supporters a little uh, getting a little impatient with Nikki Haley, who's still in the race, trailing uh, a lot uh, in the polls for Saturday. Uh, there was a speech given by Haley yesterday. Some expected she might maybe say she was ready to call it quits, but she said that's not the case. Here's what it sounded like. I'm not going anywhere. People have a right to have their voices heard. And they deserve a real choice, not a Soviet-style election where there's only one candidate and he gets 99% of the vote. We don't anoint kings in this country. And Glenn, um, Nikki, clearly uh, not ready to, to uh, quit the race uh, quite yet. And in fact, uh, former President Donald Trump held a, a town hall on Fox uh, last night. He told Laura Ingram that Haley just can't get herself to get out. She's down by 30, 35 points. And everybody knows her. You're not supposed to lose your home state. Shouldn't happen anyway. And she's losing it. Why do you think she's staying in the race? Um, I don't think she knows how to get out, actually. Uh, I really don't. She did terribly in New Hampshire. She got mo the only vote she, she got was from Democrats. But she has a lot of Democrats. money behind her. What do they think they're going to Well, they're out? trying to hurt me because of the general election. So the Democrats are giving her money and she's playing into the game. And I think she just can't get, she just can't get herself to get out. And Glenn, uh, Trump continues to hold a commanding a 63-35% lead over uh, Nikki Haley. And that's uh, according to a Suffolk University USA Today uh, survey that was released yesterday. So she's way behind, but she is not uh, throwing in the towel. She's hoping to stay in at least another week and a half, which would take us to Super Tuesday coming up the 5th of March. Not too far away when several states are in play, and that often is... Uh, a point in the, in primary races where things really start to shake out. And uh, one bit of news that uh, came out of uh, that town hall last night, uh, uh, Trump reiterated his call uh, for Biden to debate him this year. Uh, he's 
He's uh, willing to debate uh, President Biden, and he said, uh, he said to Laura Ingram, I'll do it right now on your show. I'll challenge him right now. So uh, he is uh, a totally different uh, tune than uh, during uh, the uh, um, Republican uh, primaries where he hasn't debated any of the, of the uh, candidates. No, I mean, over time, uh, we've had and not had debates, and uh, they've come back in relatively modern times between the candidates, certainly on the, uh, the general election. But uh, even in, in primaries, and you know, we've had a couple of candidates that uh, have felt uh, they're they're better off if they if they don't debate. And uh, one would have to think, uh, that in light of uh, current perceptions of President Biden, maybe the Democrats really don't want to put him up against a Republican challenger either. What's your gut feeling? Do you think it'll ever happen? No. Yeah, uh, nope. I might be with you. Yeah, it's a, it's a long shot. Uh, m- meanwhile, um, we have news uh, as a follow-up on that uh, horrific tragedy in, in Kansas City with the Super Bowl uh, parade, uh, Glenn. Yeah, two adults uh, charged with murder there in that shooting that killed one and uh, injured uh, 22. And uh, so they're getting closer to finding some justice there, John. Yeah, that's just a, a horrible story, as we uh, talked about it uh, l- last week. Uh, Lisa Lopez Galvan, a mother of two, a, uh, a Catholic uh, a m- member of uh, the Our Lady of Guadalupe Parish there in Kansas City, uh, was uh, the person who died. And uh, it is uh, a really, really sad story. Uh, Jean Peters Baker is the, the Jackson County prosecutor, and she spoke to reporters uh, at the news briefing yesterday. We seek to hold every shooter accountable for their actions on that day, every single one. So while we're not there yet on every single individual, we're going to get there. Yeah, and in fact, there are uh, two teens uh, also uh, uh, possibly facing uh, gun-related charges as well. So... um just a just a terrible tragedy, as as we talked about last week. You, you never expect something like that to happen at a, a Super Bowl celebration. In fact, in the history of the Super Bowl, it's never happened. No, no, a, uh, a sad precedent to be set there for sure, John. For sure. Uh, on a much lighter note, uh, today is International Mother Language Day. Uh, you know, I wasn't even aware that this day existed till I uh, looked it up on the calendar here. So uh, very interesting. Uh, apparently there's, you know, 7,000 plus languages out there. And heck, I'm still working on my English, guys. <laughs> yeah, but you started uh, you started with more than just English. Now, now you were born in Chicago, right? But did uh, you're, in your household, did you speak Spanish uh, first before you kind of got to school age? Si, senor. Yes, yeah, okay. I spoke Spanish. In fact, when I was little, when I went to kindergarten, my English was terrible because we spoke nothing but Spanish at home. So I am, I'm actually very thankful to, to have learned Spanish because actually it was Spanish that got me in the door into broadcasting, into television and radio. I, I, I first started out in Spanish and then switched over to English. So, uh, you know, and... Uh, it's, it's a good thing to have a second language. Uh, those of us here in this country, uh, you know, obviously, you know, English is the predominant language. But, you know, people in other countries, in Europe, some, some of those folks speak two and three languages. Yeah, it's very profitable to be able to, uh, you know, it's kind of a, to have that extra handy tool to be able to speak another language. Um, it, it, you know, I took Spanish in high school and I could tell you, uh, donde está el baño? And I could say, hola, me llamo uh, Sarah Tafoya. Um, beyond that, I don't, I, you know, you know, use it, you lose it. I know, Glenn, uh, you took French, so uh, bonjour to you, monsieur. 
Well, thank you very much. And I, I didn't even take any in high school, but found out, oh, for a liberal arts degree in college, you had to have a second language. And I was just, you know, so into radio. I was looking at college very vocationally. And so, okay, I'll get the, you know, the degree, but I, you know, want to do radio related things. I thought, what would be the most practical thing I could do for announcing and uh, doing hockey announcing at the time? And I thought, well, you know, if I took French, it would help me to better pronounce the French Canadian hockey players' names. So that was the entire reason that I took French. Yeah. And so, uh, do not recall a whole lot of that. It is a beautiful language, but uh, hats off to those that can fluently speak uh, more than one language. Like we mentioned, uh, many parts of Europe, English is an automatic. And then, like like we'd learn a second language here, would be like uh, someone in Europe learning a third language. And uh, hey, but John, I was curious. Now, with uh, you know expertise in Spanish as, as well as English, in your head, in your internal dialogue, what do you find yourself uh, uh, kind of speaking to yourself in in one language or over the other, more or a mix of both? Well, that's interesting that you should ask that question. I've actually thought about it. Um, I think that I think in English. But my heart feels in Spanish, if I can express that the best. In fact, uh, you know, oftentimes I might pray in Spanish as well, especially when I'm praying to Our Lady of Guadalupe and praying for my dad, uh, you know, of course, of, of Colombian uh, parents. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, yeah, it's it's definitely in, in me. The, this Espanol is in me. Now, uh, you guys uh, know how to say a good morning in any other language? Uh, Sarah, you said it in well, French. Yeah, sure. Uh, buenos dias, uh, clearly it would be in um, in, in Spanish. Uh, I do know in German it's guten morgen. So there you go. There's that. And I think aloha means a lot of different things. So um, I'm just going to say maybe aloha <laughs> has something to do with, I don't know if it's good morning, but I know it's hello and goodbye. It means many things. I don't know. Uh, what about you, Glenn? I have great admiration for all who can speak uh, English well, let alone a second or third or more languages. And uh, I, I, I can bring English to the table, guys. That's about it. Uh, <laughs> here's what it would sound like if we uh, did the show in many different languages. Okay. Uh, first thing in the morning, of course, uh, good morning, muy buenos dias, gen dobre in Polish, dobre utra in Russian, uh, buongiorno in Italian, um, bonjour in French, and guten morgen in German. Very good. Okay. Well, we have now become international, if not just for this segment, international on Morning Air. Wow, that's great. Muchísimas gracias, uh, Sarah Eaglen. De nada. All right. As always. And uh, first things first, we always start uh, in prayer here on the show, always giving thanks to our Lord for all of the many blessings through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, the Queen of Peace, as we continue to pray for peace in the world, especially in the Middle East and in Ukraine. It's hard to believe we're coming up on the two-year anniversary there. We also pray for peace in our nation, peace in our church, peace in our families, and peace in our hearts. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, Nuestra Señora de Guadalupe, Patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and irrelevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit every morning here on the show when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 
On Wednesdays, I always uh, take a moment to remind you to pray to St. Joseph. Don't forget about St. Joseph. He is a powerful intercessor. So go to Joseph, the head of the Holy Family. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life uh, this morning is from Jeremiah 29, 13. You shall seek me and shall find me when you shall seek me with all your heart. During this Lenten season, this verse is a reminder that the Lord wants us to seek him with all of our heart. The Lord wants our heart to be transformed and to become more like his heart, the sacred heart of Jesus. During these 40 days of Lent, open your heart and search fervently for Jesus the Lord, and then you will find him in your heart and find that peace that surpasses all understanding. And we always pray with great confidence that prayer that Drew and Maggie pray every afternoon during the Chapel of Divine Mercy. Jesus, I trust in you. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we'll go live to the Eternal City and our Rome correspondent, Ashley Narona, for the latest news on the Holy Father. So stay with us. There's much more to come on this Wednesday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Bringing Rome to home. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. And now it is indeed time to bring Rome to home for the latest news from the Vatican. We go live to our Rome correspondent, Ashley Narona from the Eternal City. Ashley and her husband, John, founded the Truth and Beauty Project in Rome, where they take people from knowing their faith to setting their hearts on fire with talks, tours, and spiritual direction, all centered on scripture, art, and beauty. They even have a special track to evangelize young adults. Visit truthandbeautyproject.com to find out how you can make your life a masterpiece in one week with John and Ashley in Rome. Good morning, Ashley. Buongiorno. Thanks so much for joining us once again from Roma. Hey, John. Buongiorno to you. It's great to be here with you this morning. Well, I, I was thinking about you because today is uh, International Language Day, and I'm thinking, I wonder how many languages Ashley speaks, because you, you're always sharing a little Italian with us here on the show. That's right. Italian and English. Those are my languages. And uh, it, it really is fun to speak Italian because it's so melodic. It's beautiful. It's funny, though, because when visitors to Italy come, they'll oftentimes watch a conversation going on in the street between two Italians using their hands and speaking with so much passion and emotion. And they think they're fighting. But instead, I get to tell them, no, they're just deciding where they're going to go for coffee today. Well, you know, it's <laughs> funny. Because, you know, my experience was from the times that I went to Rome, uh, that because I spoke Spanish, uh, I, I was able to communicate with the Italians, you know, especially the cab drivers, just by, you know, speaking Spanish. They would understand a lot of what I was saying. Yeah, absolutely. The, the languages are so, so similar. And 
native tongue Spanish speakers tend to pick up Italian in a flash. And that's, of course, because of the link amongst the, the various Romance languages. So that, that's a great gift you have, which means that, John, if you come, you'll be speaking Italian in no time. Oh, there's no doubt. I would love to, to, to learn much, much more. I still remember, per favore, per favore, Piazza di San Pietro. <laughs> you know what? And if you can get yourself to St. Peter's Square, then that's really all you need. Well that's done. all well you done. need. Exactly. For sure. Well, speaking of St. Peter's Square, uh, of course, let's talk about the Holy Father. Um, he uh, did not have a Wednesday audience uh, this morning because uh, he's on his annual Lenten uh, exercises. Uh, uh, what is the latest, Ashley? Yes. In fact, all of his engagements this week have been suspended for that particular purpose that you mentioned, John, that he could uh, enjoy Lenten spiritual exercises. And it's not only Pope Francis, but also the Roman Curia as well. And he has asked all of the Curia to specifically focus on private and personal prayer. Uh, this includes the heads of dicasteries and the superiors of the Roman Curia. So he suggested that in order to facilitate this idea of a personal retreat, that they suspend their work activities and they engage in prayer. This would have started on Sunday afternoon, so this past Sunday, and it and they will continue on this retreat, this personal retreat, until the afternoon of Friday the 23rd. So the Pope's next public event is actually going to be his Sunday Angelus on this coming Sunday, John. And uh, I'm just curious, uh, who's the retreat master that, that conducts uh, this annual Lenten exercise? Well, you know, typically they would all go together, the entire Curia would go together to a retreat house in Aricha, and it would be led, and they would have a different retreat master each year. This year, they just called for personal prayer. So everyone is doing it on his own, and uh, the idea is to just do a self-led Lenten experience. Gotcha. So yeah, so it's it's one on it's it's basically alone, not in a group uh, setting. Exactly, exactly. So a little different. And actually, this is, let's see, the fourth year that this is happening because it uh, th this system was devised during COVID. And then uh, the Pope hasn't gone back to the group retreat since then. I see. Well, uh, the Holy Father um, will uh, be back in action for the upcoming uh, Sunday Angelus, but he had something to say at last week's, uh, last Sunday's Angelus. Yes, in fact, he gave his his uh, a very uh, his first Lenten uh, reflection really last Sunday, and the idea was that he made an invitation for all the faithful to enter into what he called the desert. So the idea is is that all are called to go into the desert to to come into contact with truth. And he mentioned that during the 40 days in the desert that Christ was there, he was in the company of both wild beasts as well as angels. And he said that today, the faithful too can enter into a symbolic inner wilderness and there encounter wild beasts and angels. And he said, those wild beasts are actually disordered passions, things like vanity or lust for wealth. And he warns that they can tear a person apart and said they have to be tamed. They have to be fought. Otherwise, he said, they will devour a person's 
freedom. So he said, the way to face them is to go into the wilderness, the wilderness of your heart, the wilderness of your mind and soul, and to become aware of the presence of these disordered passions. He said, Lent is just the time to do just that. And he reminded everyone that they are not alone in this, that they are aided by the angels, by God's messengers who will help people at all times. He said, the goal is to bring order to the passions and to therefore, when that's done, one will have peace of soul as well. So he said that in order to grasp those thoughts and and feelings, uh, one really has to be silent and enter into silent prayer in order to promote an authentic conversation with God, John. A very uh, a timely message by the Holy Father to set the tone here for this Lenten season. And uh, we all have those wild beasts, uh, which I think of as uh, our vices that we need to pluck out here during Lent. Yes, exactly. And that idea that they are so powerful and it's easy for us not even to notice that we have them. And so this idea of going into the desert or in other words, carving out special silent time for prayer helps us to examine our consciences and come face to face with our personal wild beasts so that we can recognize them and then permit the the voice of God to speak to the heart and um, help us to overcome them. Um, and meanwhile, Ashley, uh, this morning we, we you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, uh, a station church uh, in in mm-hmm. Rome there, as, as St. Peter's in in the chain. Can you share with yeah. us a, a few highlights? Absolutely. So first of all, John, each year it's a wonderful tradition during Lent that there are what are called stational liturgies, and it's an ancient tradition in Rome, and it. During each day of Lent, a Mass is celebrated at a different stational church. And these are some of the oldest churches in the city, but also some of the churches that have uh, the most precious relics in the city as well. And the Pontifical North American College here in Rome also invites people to do the pilgrimage with them. So every morning at 7 a.m., the the NAC celebrates a Holy Mass at a different stational church. And so the idea is, is that you know, you each morning, it's uh, it's not so easy, right, to go across town so that you can arrive there by 7 a.m. And some people even walk as part of Lenten penance. So it is a beautiful tradition, though, to all have the opportunity to celebrate that English mass together. But throughout the day, there are masses at these stational churches in various languages. And the church that you mentioned, John, the Church of St. Peter in Chains, uh, was the church on Monday, the stational church. And it's such a special place. You know, people might know it for visiting Michelangelo's Moses there, as well as the opportunity to venerate the chains that bound Peter in Rome and in Jerusalem. But there's also a little known fact that Pope Leo the Great sent his famous Tome of Leo, it's Epistle 28, that was read at the Council of Chalcedon in uh, 451. And this really set the very complex Christological issue of how Christ is fully human and fully divine, hypostatically united in one person. Uh, And so it's 
uh, such an, a wonderful and important place of pilgrimage and prayer. Yesterday, for example, we went to the Church of Santa Anastasia, which not only has the relics of the great martyr Anastasia, um, she, of course, we know her because she's in the Eucharistic canon of the liturgy. We always uh, are asking, especially for her prayers. But also in that same church, both Saints Jerome and Pope Leo the Great celebrated Mass all the way back in the 4th and the 5th centuries. So we had the opportunity to venerate her relics there. So every day brings us to one of these very special churches and just the knowledge that we're united in this ancient tradition of walking the streets of Rome with our brothers and sisters during the time of Lent, asking, uh, making it a time of special reparation. There is so much history there in Rome. Yeah. You're so blessed to be able to just uh, go for a walk and visit uh, th these churches uh, that are so historic. And uh, St. Peter's in, in Chains reminds me of uh, the suffering of, of St. Peter and how ultimately he would be crucified upside down according to tradition because he felt he wasn't worthy to be crucified like the Lord uh, right side up. Right, exactly. And of course, that happened right here in uh, the, the space that has now been turned into St. Peter's Square. And it, it's possible to stand at the spot where the, the great big obelisk that's now in St. Peter's Square used to be when it was Nero's Circus. And all we know about the exact spot of the crucifixion of Peter is that it was somewhere near there. So just imagine standing there and knowing and uh, yeah, such, a, such a moving and beautiful opportunity to feel so close to our to our saints. Uh, meanwhile, Ashley, uh, the Coptic martyrs uh, were also venerated in St. Peter's uh, Basilica. Yes, indeed. In fact, the relics of 21 Coptic martyrs were venerated uh, in St. Peter's. And in fact, these are martyrs who were killed by ISIS. And they're in, in commemoration of um, of that, uh, there was also an ecumenical prayer service. And so this was uh, an opportunity for people to come and especially pray through the intercession of these great martyrs because it was commemorating the ninth anniversary of their martyrdom. They were beheaded by the Islamic State over in Libya uh, on the 15th of February of 2015. And in, in addition to that, Pope Francis added the 21 Coptic martyrs to the Roman martyrology. So this is, of course, the church's official lift, list of saints. He did that last May when he met with the head of the Coptic Orthodox Church. And the, the idea then uh, of this is that it's an opportunity to, uh, in an ecumenical way, bring people together in unity, especially to commemorate the courage of these martyrs and also to pray for their intercession. And uh, finally, uh, tomorrow is a, is a big feast in Rome there with the, the Feast of uh, the Chair of St. Peter, in which we uh, remember uh, the, the first pope and obviously uh, the uh, office of, of the Holy Father, uh, it's it's a uh, it's incredible when you think about uh, you know the connection that goes all the way back from Peter to today to Saint uh, to Pope Francis. 
Exactly. It is incredible to think that. And so the feast tomorrow commemorates what we read in Matthew 16, Christ choosing Peter to sit in his place as the servant of the whole church, as the rock uh, that he will build the church upon. And so inside of St. Peter's Basilica is actually a wooden throne that has been encased by in bronze by Bernini, by the great Bernini himself. It was given to Pope John VIII by the Holy Roman Emperor Charles the Bald back in 875. And Bernini encased it in bronze and has it um, sort of elevated above the altar, the main altar of the basilica. It's called the altar of the chair. And as Pope Benedict XVI said back in 2012, that chair is a symbol of the special mission of Peter, of his successors to tend Christ's flock, keeping it united in faith and in charity. So that's our prayer on this special feast day tomorrow. Well, and I'm sure that uh, a lot of pilgrims will be there honoring uh, St. Peter. And uh, can you still go downstairs and actually be face to face with the tomb of Peter? Yes, you can go down into the grottoes, and uh, it's a very quiet place. They ask for silence down there, so that's the one place in St. Peter's Basilica where you can feel as though you enter into deep prayer right there with the the rock himself. Ashley, uh, hearing you talk about all these holy places in, in Rome uh, just uh, reminds me that the next time I come, I'm going to have to uh, go on one of your tours. Oh, praise God. Well, that would be an absolute delight, John. We're looking forward to it. Well, as always, uh, thanks so much uh, for being with us. Uh, Really uh, appreciate it. Grazie, grazie. Oh, great to be with you. Have a blessed day. You too. Ashley Narona, our Rome correspondent who joins us every Wednesday from the Eternal City. You can listen to her reports on the new Relevant Radio app. Just go to Relevant in Rome. We need to take a short break when we come back. Uh, Terry Schilling, the president of the American Principles Project, he'll be with us to talk about the sacrilegious St. Patrick's Cathedral trans funeral and what we can do in reparation as Catholics. So stay with us as Morning Air continues on this Wednesday here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah, thanks so much for joining us on this Wednesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. You can uh, email us directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. You can uh, jot down our number and save it in your phone if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Now, you may have heard about the blasphemous funeral of a transgender activist, Cecilia Gentili, on February 15th at the storied St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City, where several acts of sacrilege were actually committed. The New York Archdiocese condemned the funeral service held at St. Patrick's, as reported by CBS News New York. New developments following the funeral of transgender community leader and performer Cecilia Gentili at St. Patrick's Cathedral this week. The New York Archdiocese is now condemning the service. Pews at the historic Catholic Church were packed with mourners for Gentili, who at one time professed to be an atheist in her off-Broadway show. In a statement today, Pastor Enrique Salvo said in part, quote, the cathedral only knew that family and friends were requesting a funeral mass for a Catholic and had no idea our welcome and prayer 
would be degraded in such a sacrilegious and deceptive way. At the Cardinal's directive, we have offered an appropriate mass of reparation. And joining us live this morning is Terry Schilling, the president of the American Principles Project, to give us his reaction to this sacrilegious event and what we can do as Catholics for reparation for this desecration. Terry Schilling is a devout, devout Catholic and a father of seven. Good morning, Terry. Thanks so much for being with us here on Morning Air. It's great to be with you. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Well, uh, Terry, uh, can you first of all uh, give us a, a brief description of exactly what happened last week at this uh, funeral service at St. Patrick's Cathedral uh, in New York City? Well, essentially what happened was uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral, Cathedral was infiltrated by enemies of the church that want to erase the distinctions between good and evil. Uh, and not only that, but actually want to invert the distinctions between good and evil that want to promote uh, evil is good and good is evil. Um, and they held a funeral for a transgender identifying prostitute. Uh, and uh, the, I, I don't even really want to talk about the things that they said at the pulpit. I mean, it was a desecration of St. Cecilia and a mockery of her. Um, I, I think that the best thing we can do in reparation is to go to mass extra this, this Lent and also do some special devotions to St. Cecilia, the real St. Cecilia, um, because there's something here that's demonic going on. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's it's not of this world. Terry, without getting into all the uh, gruesome details, uh, um, what what exactly did they do to to uh, to mock uh, our our Catholic faith and uh, this beloved Saint uh, Saint Cecilia? Well, uh, they. The, the name of the transgender identifying person was, uh, he went by Cecilia, and uh, at the pulpit during one of the eulogies, it, they said, St. Cecilia, our whore, pray for us. And, um, you know, it, it's obviously a, an attack on the church. It's an attack on us. It's an attack on God. It's an attack on St. Cecilia. It, it, it's it's so inhuman. I, I couldn't think of something like this if I tried. And, and so there's some type of, I think, spiritual element here that is influencing these people. Um, and it's, it's very concerning. It's so absolutely outrageous. And, uh, you know, anybody, uh, who is Catholic and heard this story obviously feels uh, the same, just outraged. Uh, how can this happen at a, uh, a beautiful historic, uh, cathedral like St. Patrick's there in New York city, uh, one of the most famous uh, churches, not only in this country, but around the world. Well, the church has always been a target for the evil one to try and destroy. Uh, and, and Christ warned us of this when he gave Peter the keys of the kingdom. He, he essentially warned that he, the gates of hell would be coming to try and destroy the church, but they wouldn't prevail. And you have to think that there is some priest within that congregation. Someone had to approve this funeral for a transgender identifying prostitute who was a professed atheist who has no uh, love and really an animosity and hatred towards the church. Someone within that church leadership had to approve that funeral, right? There's a process for this. And so St. Patrick's needs to clean house, right? And probably the entire Catholic church needs to clean house because we have more and more priests that have been coming out publicly that have, these are really the older priests that I would call them boomer priests that uh, probably came up in the seventies and eighties. Um, and they, they disagree with the church's teachings on sexuality and gender and identity and all of that, um, and they want to change it, right? Uh, 
Father James Martin is very clear that he wants to, uh, you know, alter and upgrade the church's teaching. That's in his words, not mine. Uh, but there are enemies within the gates. There always have been. But now they feel more emboldened. And, and I don't know the reason why they feel more emboldened to speak out and to do these types of things. But we can't let them get away with it. So, Terry, uh, your perspective is that this was blatant. They knew exactly what they were doing. It wasn't just a, a misunderstanding. Exactly. I mean, church teaching is very clear. You cannot have a public funeral. Public funerals are denied to suicide victims. They are denied to anyone that um, is openly living a life that is against and contrary uh, to church teachings. It's very similar to uh, public and private excommunication rules, right? And so uh, this was blatant. Someone authorized this knowing full well that this was a transgender activist, that this was a, a prostitute, that this was uh, an atheist, someone that was an enemy of the church. They signed off of it. And it's because I think that there is a movement that believes that infinite mercy must be shown to all people uh, through the church. And the problem with that is I think it was uh, St. Thomas More that said mercy without justice is cruel and unusual punishment. So now Catholics all across the world are being given a very bad example. It's a, it's a black eye to all of us that actually believe the faith and support it and are suffering ourselves, right? There are a lot of Catholics that are speaking out publicly against this whole transgender insanity, this in, industrialization of, of, of biological sex and trying to change that. And we're, we're losing our jobs. We're not getting promotions. We're having our, some of us are having our kids taken away from us by the state because of this transgender movement. And the church in New York decided it was a good idea to give homage and, and, and blow this thing up and give it more PR. It's, it's absolutely a direct attack on the church. What is uh, your take on uh, the reaction of the pastor of St. Patrick's uh, Cathedral, uh, who issued a statement on February 17th, uh, as well as uh, Cardinal Dolan himself from the Archdiocese? Well, I think there needs to be a lot more done. I, I do appreciate that there has been recognition of this grave error, and, and I also do firmly believe in the majesty and the healing power of the Mass. And so that the fact that they had a Mass of reparation is, is very important, and, and I, but, I, but there needs to be a lot more done to clean up that parish and, and the Church entirely in America. The, the American Catholic Church is completely lost. So many of us don't follow the church teachings. So many of us have fallen away. Um, and the problem with that is, is that when the church is weak, the world is weak. When the, when the church is falling, the world is falling. And we see this in our homes and our families in America. We see this in our society. All of our institutions are corrupted. And I think that uh, that's in large part due to the fact that our church has been weakened and is bracing, is, is, is walking closer to um, heresy every single day. What's your take on the way that the mainstream media reported uh, this sacrilege? Uh, you know that they're totally behind the woke uh, liberal agenda that obviously we, we saw uh, infiltrated into St. Patrick's. Yeah, they're going to make this person a victim. They're going to make the, the church the big bad guys for for coming down and correcting this. But the reality is, is that uh, our church has been way too polite, and now it's hurting us. Right, we we are called to be polite and kind and and loving, but there's a limit to that, and the limit is when we start to cause public scandal, when we actually start to cause harm. I'm sorry, when we start to cause cause harm 
to all the other people that are involved in, in strongly pra- practicing and believing in the faith. And so um, the, you know, the mainstream media is going to do what they're going to do. They're, they're not our friends. They've never been a friend of the Catholic Church in this country. Uh, and you know, I think it's important to remind ourselves, because we have such a blessed world that we're living in, it's starting to go back to an anti-Catholic country again. And it's not just anti-Catholic this time, it's, it's really an anti-Christian country. It's becoming more and more pagan. And so we need to gird our loins. We need to get back to the church. We need to pray a lot more. Um, I, I've been doing little things like trying to pray the rosary on the way to and from work. Uh, and I would recommend everyone else do that, do that same thing. We have to offer this up to, to the Blessed Mother and, and ask her to protect our church and to, to bring the healing that we need. I want to open up our, our phone lines in the moments that we have uh, and invite our listeners, if you'd like to maybe share your own reaction to uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral holding this blasphemous LGBTQ uh, funeral service uh, for a trans activist. Uh, we are taking your calls for Terry uh, Schelling, the president of the American Principles Project at 888 We only have Terry for a, a few more uh, minutes. Uh, again, 888 Terry, you know, when I think of St. Patrick's Cathedral, I think that, you know, the late great Archbishop Fulton Sheen was uh, actually uh, b- buried there at one, at one time. He's not there anymore. But, you know, can you imagine what uh, Fulton Sheen would have thought of, of this blasphemy? Oh, my goodness. I am such a fan of Fulton Sheen. And think, you know, the, the Internet is a wretched place uh, for the most part. But one of the joys and uh, things that I love is I've been seeing... Uh, videos of, of Fulton Sheen uh, coming up, and they, they go viral, and there's lots of people hearing his message. But, no, he, he, he was such a light in the darkness, right? And that's what we're called to be is a light in the darkness. But Fulton Sheen was very clear. Just like God, you can the, – the issue is is you can tell the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is very clear. It's very direct. There's no confusion. There's no gray area. It's always very clear what you're supposed to do. And, and you can tell the spirit of, of, of someone – based on how direct and how clear they are. And, and Fulton Sheen, there's, there's no question uh, who was guiding him and leading him. And, and, I, and the same thing goes, I, I think the people that are allowing this to happen in our church, I think it's very clear where that's coming from. Archbishop Sheen once said, uh, the truth is the truth even if nobody believes it, and error is an error even if everybody believes it. So even though this woke uh, agenda, this uh, trans activism has become uh, so real here in this country, it's just because it's being um, you know pushed out there by the mainstream media doesn't mean that uh, we have to accept it because it clearly is an error. It's an error uh, philosophically, spiritually, and even scientifically. Exactly. And it's causing serious, serious damage and harm, not just to the rest of us that don't go along to it, along with it. It's causing damage and harm to the people that are the most devoted practicers, practitioners of it, right? That the, the people hurt most by the transgender industry are people who identify as transgender, right? The people that become prostitutes, they are hurt by the prostitution industry. They are all suffering incredible pains and losses and, and permanent damage to their lives, their souls, and their bodies. And what the church needs to do is that we need to start pointing out who are the victims, right? The victims are these transgender people that are being taken advantage of and lied to about this agenda and about the benefits of it. There are no benefits. There are only downsides. Uh, and, and we need to be a clear moral voice in this culture. Anytime you hear someone trying to uh, walk on both sides of the aisle on these issues that are paramount to humanity, gender, sexuality, all of that. 
you have to ask why they're being coy, why they aren't being more clear, because the victims are suffering the most. And they are they are the people who identify as transgender and the people working uh, as prostitutes. Well, Terry, uh, this LGBT uh, group of activists is actually uh, demanding a public apology from St. Patrick's Cathedral. Can you imagine? I mean, they're turning the whole thing around and, and trying to blame the cathedral. <laughs> well, you know, it's so predictable at this point, right? These are evil people who demand you apologize even when there's nothing to apologize for. And this is this has been their mark, right? We have not... They are the ones that should be apologizing for embarrassing us, for causing harm and scandal within our church. But they have no shame. They have no conscience. It's tough for good people to understand these people and these activists because we don't like to believe that evil exists, that people can actually become evil. But it's true. And there are people in this country, and it's a growing number, who believe that good is evil and evil is good. And they want to start punishing good people for doing good things. We, our laws in this country for too long have treated evil equally with good under our laws, right? The Church of Satan has the same legal protections as the Catholic Church. That is insane. We cannot, our laws cannot protect evil equally as good. There is a difference, and if you protect evil equally with good, you're going to get a lot more evil in your country. There's no other way around it. I think um, as Catholics, we need to pray uh, for the, all the people involved in this sacrilege, uh, as, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, that, that is one thing we definitely uh, uh, can do. How, how do we uh, keep in mind the infinite ocean of mercy of God? Uh, he's so merciful, but at the same time, he wants us to repent, to change. Well, he, he is merciful, but we have to ask him for his forgiveness. We have to be seeking him out, right? It's, it's, it goes back to uh, when he was dying on the cross and the, and the, and the, the good thief and, and the bad thief. And the bad thief was demanding that Christ save us right now. You, you're, so, you're God. You're all powerful. Get off this cross and save us both. And the good thief who entered into paradise that day said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right, that is the model. It, God is merciful, but He doesn't. He's a gentleman. He's not going to intrude on your life if you don't want Him to. If you're rejecting Him, you have to accept God. And, and accepting God means coming to Him and kissing His feet and kissing His robe and asking for healing. We have to ask God for healing and forgiveness. And if we don't, we'll never get it. And people need to understand that, especially Catholics. I think the world would be a lot better place if Catholics. We're better at understanding and practicing their faith in public. Everyone would be. Well, we're going to have to leave it right there. I really appreciate uh, your perspective. Uh, Very important that that Catholics know what's going on. Thanks so much for being with us, uh, Terry. Thanks for having me. Terry Schilling, the president of the American Principles Project. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today called Keep Your Fork. There was a young woman who'd been diagnosed with a terminal illness and had been given three months to live. So as she was getting her things in order, she contacted her pastor and had him come to her house to discuss certain aspects of her final wishes. She told him which songs she wanted, sung at the service, which scriptures she'd like read, and what outfit she wanted to be buried in. Everything was in order, and the pastor was preparing to leave when the young woman suddenly remembered something very important to her. Oh, there's one more thing, she said excitedly. What's that, came the pastor's reply. This is very important, the young woman continued. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. The pastor stood looking at the young woman, not knowing quite what to say. That surprises you, doesn't it? The young woman asked. Well, to be honest, I'm puzzled by the request, said the pastor. 
The young woman explained, my grandmother once told me this story, and from that time on I've always tried to pass along its message to those I love and those who are in need of encouragement. In all my years of attending socials and dinners, I always remember that when the dishes or the main course were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, keep your fork. It was my favorite part because I knew that something better was coming, like velvety chocolate cake or deep dish apple pie, something wonderful with substance. So I just want people to see me there in that casket with a fork in my hand, and I want them to wonder, what's with the fork? Then I want you to tell them, keep your fork, the best is yet to come. The pastor's eyes welled up with tears of joy as he hugged the young woman goodbye. He knew this would be one of the last times he'd see her before her death. But he also knew the young woman had a better grasp of heaven than he did. She had a better grasp of what heaven would be like than many people twice her age with twice as much experience and knowledge. She knew that something better was coming. At the funeral, people were walking by the young woman's casket. and They saw the cloak she was wearing and the fork placed in her right hand. Repeatedly, the pastor heard the question, What's with the fork? And over and over he smiled. During his message, the pastor told people of the conversation he had with the young woman shortly before she died and also told them about the fork and what it symbolized to her. He told the people how he could not stop thinking about the fork and told them they probably would not be able to stop thinking about it either. And he was right. So the next time you reach down for your fork, let it remind you ever so gently, the best is yet to come. John 14, 2 and 3 says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you also may be where I am. Thanks so much, Glenn. Uh, coming up next hour on Morning Air, Father Marcel Tyone and Dave Duran will be with us, so stay with us. There is much more to come in the final hour of Morning Air.